I'm quite sure you all know the name Carl Winterbottom, the founder and CEO of Orbiting Group, talent solutions business that operates exclusively within the data and analytics space across the UK, Europe and the USA. Carl is also listed in the Data IQ 100 Most Influential People for Data in 2022. So we are absolutely delighted to have him with us today. Please do remember we're going to be doing a series of these interviews with the best of the best. So do subscribe to our YouTube channel if you get the chance. We'd very much appreciate joining us. So I'm going to add Kyle. Kyle, can you hear us? I certainly can, Catherine. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. So why don't you do an introduction of your own? You can't yeah. pick yourself up more than I do, so. Yeah, well, no, that'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Um, so, yeah, I'm Kyle Winterbottom, founder of Orbition Group. We're a talent solutions business that operates exclusively within the world of data and analytics. Uh, we work across the UK, uh, Central Europe and, uh, and USA. And I guess what we do day to day is help organizations build and scale their data analytics capabilities and organizations. So a little bit different to traditional recruitment um, and a little bit different to executive search um, but we kind of land somewhere in the middle of that um, usually doing uh, you know helping team uh, businesses to build their teams at scale so that could be hiring 10 people immediately it could be putting a strategy um, together to help uh, a business in hyper growth within data analytics to hire 50 people over the next 12 months for example um, Outside of that, we're very active in the community. So we host um, a series of, of events that take place every quarter in various parts of the world. Uh, we have our own podcast, which um, somehow has managed to get over 13,000 listeners in 116 different countries as of the last couple of weeks. So um, so yeah, appreciate everyone that tunes into that. Uh, and then we're involved in a few kind of initiatives in terms of mentorship and, uh, and kind of university programs and, and things like that. Ah, now I've got to ask you before I ask any questions from these guys, which is great questions coming in here. And thank you. Um, how did you start getting into this? Because it's it's a relatively new sort of recruitment market from my traditional days twenty years ago. Um, how what what led you on the path? What what picked your interest? So, I mean, I started out, you know, I don't think anyone that works in the talent slash recruitment landscape, you know, grows up wanting to be a recruiter. Um, <laughs> just, so happened to, just so happened to fall into that line of work. And, and I guess my starting point um, was in the realms of business intelligence, which, you know, I guess has evolved into today is what we now know as kind of data and, and analytics. Obviously, it was very technically focused then a lot of business intelligence was still kind of seen as, as it and i'm sure we'll touch upon that in a in a little while but well, so i've kind of always been in and around this space and then i guess as the market has evolved so as probably you know my presence in the in this market and uh yeah i've just you know hung on for dear life so to speak <laughs> well at least they let you out the cupboard and in front of the camera <laughs> yeah sometimes yeah i've got visions of you being stuck in there with a headset on and loaded with data <laughs> yeah i think the the world's changed a little bit um but that yeah a pretty accurate description about from about 12 years ago for sure yeah oh brilliant well i'll tell you what i'm gonna start with the first question because We've already had a quick chat before. I am slightly nervous about with your answers. <laughs> Don't be too controversial because I'll have to deal with the chat going on if you do. Yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> try your best. So let's start with the first question that we got from our YouTube channel. Expectation versus reality. 
how is it with the data science job market? Oh, you, you should have started with a different question if you didn't want controversy, Catherine. Um, so I'm, I'm only joking. Um, so expectation versus reality. So I think with this, we've been on a bit of a journey right over the last five years in particular. So if I think about five years ago, you know, all the rage was data science. You know, data, data science teams were being built left, right and centre by seemingly every organisation under the sun. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that per se in the grand scheme of things. Um, I think what what has happened over those five years is there's been probably not as much value added to the business as those business leaders were hoping for by spinning up those data science teams. And look, my opinion, no fault of the data scientists or the data science teams them, themselves in, in any way, shape or form in this. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I saved you there, didn't I? Um, so, but, but I think what, you know, that we, we then kind of got to this point, right. You know, the sexiest job title of the 21st century and all of that type of stuff. And I think that led to a lot of people starting to study data science and, you know, really wanting to get into it. And I completely get why. Um, I think, most businesses, if I'm honest, weren't ready for data science. And now we're in a situation where the data science part of the market in particular um, is, you know, probably saturated with people looking to get into it versus the number of organizations looking specifically to recruit at that level. Um, Why would you have said a company wasn't ready for data science? Uh, well, just, just, just simple little things, right? So I think, you know... Uh, as with anything, you have trends that emerge, right? You have these buzzwords that that pop up, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science was one of them, you know, earlier on. And every business, I think, you know, with the right intention, wanted to do data science. Um, they'd probably not done enough behind the scenes to understand whether they were ready to do that in terms of, you know, a, a data scientist's output is only as valid as the data that they have access to, that they can source, the cleanliness of it, the quality of it, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think many businesses, you know, their starting point was, you know, they, they'd not invested heavily at all into data in its entirety. They didn't have the right raw data to put a data yeah. scientist onto. Yeah. So, you know, and, and what happened from, from there was that, you know, we, we found – many people, data scientists would go into an organization, realize actually I'm spending all of my time sifting around trying to find anything useful. So there was this kind of dual challenge going on where the business wasn't necessarily always fully aware of why they were doing it, right? They just, they wanted to do data scientists, uh, data science because I guess A, it was considered cool and B, they thought it was going to be a silver bullet. Um, couple that with the fact then that, you know, not every not every business had the access to the right data, the right quality of data, you know, the whole adage of garbage in, garbage out, and the other variations of that sentiment. Uh, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> careful, we, we landed, again, careful, yeah, recorded, streaming live. Yeah, we landed in a, we landed in a place um, where, you know, the, the value that the business saw from that wasn't, wasn't necessarily what they were hoping or expecting for. So, and, you know, couple that with... The sexiest job of the 21st century that led a big spike in people going trying to get into the industry That's and why uh, i got into it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah no I, and i think it's one of it's one of them right it's one of those um one of those instances now where businesses are kind of 
retrospectively looking to fix some of those issues that I mentioned. And therefore, unless they're a gigantic organization that has the, the time to, you know, wait. The flip side of that is obviously data scientists also got really bored and fed up because, you know, they want to be in there building, you know, algorithms and models, right, that add serious weight and impact to the business that they're working for. But when they're spending 80, 90% of the time finding and cleaning data, that's yeah. not really what they were hoping that's for when role. they got into the industry, right? No. Do you think they do you think they actually understand not the data scientists but the companies employing them? Do you think they actually understand what they want the output to be and what it actually looks like that they're trying to get to? I often wonder that myself. Um I think obviously that's you know case by case basis. I think if I was speaking broadly, um now, yes, but that's because they've invested so much money that they can't backtrack, right? So they've had to figure that out. I think at the time. You know, businesses that started, you know, we're going to be data driven, started at, with data science. Obviously, that's the wrong place to start, probably. And therefore, um, you know, yeah, I don't think they were driven by what is the business objective? How can this add weight to you know, and value to what we're trying to achieve? Yeah. Are we ready for it? All of that yeah. type of stuff. I think it was a starting point out of, you know, a few different things. Fear of missing out obligation right everyone was talking about data science and artificial intelligence and i think a lot of business leaders thought well this could be interesting and also we don't want to be we don't want to look like we're not the cool kids on the block you know if we're not seen to be doing something in this then employers will go elsewhere because they'll think other other businesses are more innovative or cutting edge or you know whatever adage you you want to use and not understanding the financial benefits of what they're actually trying to do I mean, there's great financial benefits in, in this kind of work, but it's not so easy to quantify it in the way you want to. I mean, that graph you put up on LinkedIn yesterday was just a perfect example of where yeah. spend goes and where it should go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like well, that. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? And I'm sure we'll probably get into this a bit further later on. But, you know, I think that an organization's two biggest assets are people first and then data second. And if they can get both of those components right they're onto a winner. But in most instances, they're probably the things that get the, the least time and attention, which is, it fascinates me because, you know, and I know that we're going to talk about the data, that the strategy around talent in a little while, I'm sure. But, you know, most businesses, if they were, if we were to say, what is your business strategy? They'd say, right, well, here's the end goal and we'll work backwards. Yet for the people element, it doesn't, they don't do that, which no. has always, it's always fascinated me. Always do you think that's because you, I mean, there is, there was a very big push to um, promote from within a business when actually not, although you could have a fantastic person in their job role, maybe that isn't actually the right promotion for them. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I think, look, there's, there's so many variables to that, right? And we've also got to remember data science specifically. It's, I mean, Obviously, we get into the debate around, you know, data science is just linear linear regression from 25 years ago, right? And I, I kind of get all of that. But data science as a coined term and a marketplace and a job title has really only been around, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years, maybe, right? So there's also the fact that, yes, there's a big part of this that, you know, we're in a, a talent short space in certain instances, but... You know, so the retraining of people is massively important, but equally, you know, there's not all when a business started, you know, working with data, they probably didn't have people 
employed to do that job first, right? So of course, there's a natural reaction to having to go and find people with the right skill sets. So it's a it's a it's a tough one to to kind of get right for sure. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Um, just I'm sorry, I'm looking at the questions. Something's rewinding. Not sure what that's about. Never mind. Um, right, there's another one that we had for you. There is a high demand for data professionals, yet most companies are still struggling to kick off their data science projects after hiring the most expensive talents. Why is there <laughs> such a gap between demand and outcomes? Which we've kind of just touched on there, but that's digging in a little bit deeper. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been very vocal about this over the years, but I, I mean, I remember... You've been vocal, Carl? <laughs> I remember... A little wallflower. Probably... Yeah, well, you know, some someone's got it, I guess. Um, so, but you know, if I rewind five years, I, I, you know, I remember sat, be sitting, sitting in on multiple meetings with you know hiring managers and business leaders who were saying, right, we're going to build a data science team, and I would ask them to talk me through why. Um, and nine times out of ten, what they were trying to do didn't require a data scientist. Right. So we, we had we had, again, the fear of missing out a bit of obligation. I'm not too sure. There's a, a probably various factors. And I don't think anything we you know, I don't think any business leader was out there saying, you know, we're going to say we do data science, but we actually won't. I think, it you know, it came from a, a place of good intent, but probably just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. A lack of knowledge and understanding at that time, especially, you know, five years ago, it was a little bit newer than it is today. And then, as we said before, right, you know, so they would go and hire data scientists to do the job of, you know, and pay, pay through the nose for these people, right? You know, what they might have needed is a strong analyst and they would go and pay 20, 30K a year more to hire a data scientist who would invariably leave after a few months because they're saying, well, this isn't what I signed up for, right? Um, So, yeah, it's... It's tough, and we could. I suppose often... within your within your workspace, you've got a lot of a job of educating the client as to what candidate needs to look like, rather than what they think they want. Would you agree with that? Oh, hundred hundred percent, absolutely. Because I think, um, you know, you get this situation where you know the business wants to go in a direction, and therefore, you know, often it's a kind of sometimes a, a kind of knee-jerk reaction to, you know, and the amount, honestly, the amount of times I've seen it, not just in data science, but across the whole data landscape in general, right? You know, it starts with, right, we, we want to be a data-driven company from here on out. And, you know, they put the flag in the sand and and their first port of call is to go and buy a data lake and and and, and build something. And it's like, well, why? What, why are you trying to, you know, not saying that's not important and it's not going to be necessary, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the first port of call. And, and it's yeah. almost like where many businesses, they kind of, they know they want to do it. They know there's great value in doing it somewhere. They're not too sure how to extract that value. So they kind of like, right, okay, the first iteration of this strategy is we'll build a data lake. And then, you know, the 2 million quid down, hired all these people and that, right, now what do we do? And then it's a case of, oh, actually, we're not too sure, or that might have not been the right bit of kit or you know we've got all of these data scientists and engineers that we actually don't need you know what I mean so it's a it's a tricky landscape and I think I've spent a lot of time you know probably counterintuitively to myself over the years saying to someone like well you don't need to pay 90 grand for that what you're after is someone you know that can do the job that's 50 grand yeah they don't have the title but it's not about that per se and I've had several people say to me you're the only kind of recruitment slash talent person that's ever told me not to hire someone, you know, why, when you're going to make money from this. And I'm like, <laughs> my, my vision and purpose beyond this is like, I think we need to 
the, the more we speak about this stuff as a collective, as an industry, the better we become. And ultimately, the better we all become, the better everyone does out of it. So, mm. and the flip side of that is, you know, yes, we could place a data scientist in a role. If they leave within three months, what have we done, right? You know, ruined someone's life, potentially. The, 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 the business has probably wasted a lot of money and everyone's in a worse off position, right? So I think yeah. we've kind of got a, an obligation and a duty of care to, you know, try and educate and do, do the right things. Now, you know, mm. by no means am I an expert in this there's a you know a lot more very credible people than me but all i can do is give them the steer on the the market the types of jobs out there the types of people the the rough costs you know just what to expect i guess because that's where most businesses just don't you know re don't really understand the landscape yeah i can understand that i mean there's titles new titles coming out all the time that i don't actually know what it means <laughs> yeah in anything yeah i mean so, yeah. There's some, you know, funky, funky titles out there now, right? That aren't necessarily technical, like you know, technical roles. So you know, you've got the the translator, the storyteller, the data journalist, the you know, X, Y, and Z, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I kind of get that. You know, I think we just got to be very careful. We're, we're doing it out of a place of good intention, but you know, with, with every new title we throw out there, um, there's there's a spike in hype around something you know what I mean yeah. so I think we've just got to be careful in terms of how we how we coin certain things um and for me you know top and tail sand you know line in the sand it's all about balance like any any team needs to, to have a balance of skills including you know soft skills commercial skills hard technical skills you know the, the there's no one size fits all approach and I think back to the data science piece that's where many businesses um, started and failed was that you know they'd spin up a, a, a team of data scientists that had 15 20 people in it but there's no engineers right and it's kind of like well um, none of these data scientists were either willing or able to get the data and move it to where it needed to be okay so that you know and then we get into the realm of the rise of the data engineer over the last two years you know the data engineer now is is that role that's probably the 20 you know the, the sexiest role of the 21st century right so it's um there's always going to be movement. I think that's the the important thing, but it's about getting the balance right. I think there needs to be movement as well, you know, especially in this industry. If you if you stay still, you, you're going to miss the boat to a, to a large degree. I'll just say now to our LinkedIn watchers, uh, do feel free to comment and post your questions. The YouTube watchers are doing more questions than you. So if you need to catch <laughs> up. Yeah, let's create some internal <laughs> competition here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'll do you another one, Kyle. What are some red flags Ooh, candidates need to look out for when approached for a data leadership role? Oh, right. This is this is my sweet spot, I think, now. Um Whoa. so I think there's there's a few things. Like, first of all, you know, I think what needs to be understood is that there's at the leadership level, there are so many variables that come into play for someone to um, think whether an opportunity is right for them or not, right? You know, so I guess if you think about, but you know, at the practitioner level, people trying to get into the industry, people in the middle of their kind of hands-on careers, um, for them, often it's driven by, am I using the latest and greatest technologies? How much are you going to pay me? Can I work from home? Is it a cool company and am I, am I working on cool projects, right? At the leadership level, I think there's a lot more to it than that because it starts to become about, okay, who do I report to? 
where do I sit within an organization? Because that plays a part in how influential I can be. Yeah. Um, have I got any budget or, you know, am I coming in as a one man band and you're expecting me to be an entire team? Um, the package has got to be right. The location, the hybrid working, the travel, the, the technology stacks, the the ability to, to change and influence and transform and all of that type of stuff. So I think there's many variables. I think mm. obviously. Is there again, a particular though, like real red flag that if a company was to say that to you as a candidate, you would think, no. They've got this wrong. Honestly, I think most businesses get this wrong. So my party line on this is that the facts are, you know, if you think about data leadership people, all of them are now pining for the chief data officer role, right? In the UK, there are a handful of true chief data officer roles that sit on the board, report to a CEO that are paid at executive level, etc. The rest of them are just, you know, probably inflated job titles. Right, rightly or wrongly, right? Um, and I completely get why people want the title because it's seen as the pinnacle, right? Like who who wouldn't want that? Um, but I think that the big standout things are, you know, and most businesses get this wrong because I don't know why. I think they still think this. They can't separate IT and data often, right? So they kind of think uh, the most senior data person, the person that's going to lead our capability needs to be the most technically inclined, like needs to be the absolute whiz. So, you know, and you get into instances where then you have, um, you know, we're looking for a CDO or we're looking for a director of data analytics and the, the requirements are a shopping list of technology. You know, it's 15 years Python and it's like, well, that should be a red flag for most people. That's not to say that every business needs someone that's not focused on technology, because obviously there are certain instances where the leader probably does need to be a lot more hands-on. Like if they're a startup, for example, and it's about building a product, you know, that's going to go to market, fine. Um, but if you're talking about other organizations, you know, the 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 value add that these people add is, um, you know, influencing, storytelling, communication, winning hearts and minds, taking people on that journey. Like, how are you going to transform the business from where it is to where it wants to get to using data and analytics? And the technology is massively important. It's the vehicle that allows us to do the do often, um, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, so I think that's probably the big red flag when you see for, for a lot of data leaders, when you see the job descriptions, um, you know, that are just pure tech, Technology, that'd be the, the big thing for me. And I don't know whether you're still there or not, Catherine. Take that as a no. Oh, here's Ben to the rescue. <laughs> hey, Kyle, good to see you. Hey, everybody on LinkedIn here. I'm, I'm just gonna back up uh, Catherine here uh, while she's out. So as soon as she comes back, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let her take over. So Ben Cutler here with uh, Winpeer. Kyle, having a great conversation today. Really appreciate you joining. Hope this is uh, really useful for, for everyone in, on, on LinkedIn. It looks like we've got about 20, 20 people joining us live from LinkedIn at this point. So uh, LinkedIn, uh, really appreciate you joining today. I'd love to see some more questions. Um, Kyle, I, 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 I haven't really seen too many live questions yet. Um, so I'd, I'd love to uh, to take some live questions here. Uh, we, we've got uh, a series of questions queued up so we can keep on with uh, with the written questions that we have here. Some of the questions we've taken prior to the uh, the interview today. Um, but again, 
LinkedIn, I'm, I'm just going to throw this invitation out there. We'd love to get some some live cool. questions. We've got people in different industries joining today, different in, uh, people in analytics and business development, marketing, uh, many other uh, different uh, business departments that way. So it looks like uh, Catherine's back. So Catherine, I'm going to let you take over here. Uh, thank you. And I do apologize uh, for that, guys. As I'd explained to Kyle, uh, I live down in Spain and we had some pretty nasty wildfires down here, which means the electricity keeps jumping off. And therefore, my colleague, uh, Ben, very kindly um, has been sitting in the background in case it happened. And of course, it did happen. <laughs> so, well, it had to, didn't it? If we're going to have a day like that, it's just going to happen. Uh, where were you up to, Carl? I don't think you'd actually finished that question. Yeah, I think I was just, uh, I think I was just kind of freestyling at the end there. But I was kind of saying to, to answer the question, um, you know, the red flags for, for oh. in my eyes, for most data leaders ought to be, you know, if the role is purely about technology, because you know, ultimately, there's a few facets to that. Um, you know, are you going to have the ability and authority that you need to to truly? influence the organization to kind of move the needle from where they are to where they need to be you know and transform the business in terms of its business objectives and strategy to you know by using data and analytics and i think as i mentioned um you know most businesses get that wrong they think that this leader ought to be the best player as well you know to use a football analogy um you know the, very often not not the best footballers make the best managers right so uh, really? I, I don't, it's not it's not any different the, the job is the job is to kind of you know build the team motivate the team deliver value back to the business you know take the business on the journey is a lot more about the soft uh, you know soft in quotation marks because there's nothing soft about them they're very difficult to master but um more about the the kind of soft str strategic and commercial skills of course they need to have an aptitude and um you know experience i guess from a technical perspective because ultimately they'll be managing people in that domain but do they need to be the one sitting there writing the code i think if that's what the business is asking they're they're trying to hire the wrong type of person yeah i can understand that completely um i've lost my other screen because i'm actually now on battery power um ben perhaps i can add you and you can go through because you can see the other questions from the sheet on the YouTube channel. Uh, joy of Joyce. So she writes for living in die as well, just to add to the power cup. <laughs> please, please don't do that. Uh, spotting off my phone. Useful. Sorry, Ben. Do you want to take over? Yeah, absolutely. What uh, what question are you in here, Catherine? Help me out. Uh, we were just asking. Uh, what was the last question I asked you, Carl? <laughs> about the red flags for data leadership roles. That's right. There you yep. go. I'm with you here. Yeah, you're on the ball. <laughs> so, so uh, again, I'm just going to throw this invitation out there. LinkedIn, we'd love to take some questions here today. So, again, we've got a lot of questions queued up, and we'll keep this going, having a great time, getting some great insight from Kyle. Thank you for joining today. Uh, but, again, we'd, we'd love to see some questions here. Looks like we've got one. So, uh, TG, thank you very much for the question. LinkedIn Live, please keep them coming. Uh, the question here from TG is, Kyle, you mentioned being a one-person team. What is a tipping point to accept a role that is not clear from conversation? Um, that's a very good question. Um, what I would say, TG, is if it's not clear, 
then you need to be making sure that you, you know, ask, ask the question first and foremost, that would be, that would be my advice. If, you know, if, if you're speaking to an organization that wants to bring you on board, you, you know, even at the, the entry level for that starting their data and analytics journey, um, you know, I guess the question becomes, even if you are very technically inclined and that's, that's going to be the bulk of the role, how long do you want to be playing that role for? And, you know, do you have the scope and the the backing of the business and, you know, the, uh, the budget to, to grow and invest because otherwise it can become a pretty frustrating place. So I think two, two parts to that, obviously, first of all, try to understand and go back and ask the question, you know, if it's not clear, um, you know, what is the scope of this role? What are you expecting beyond just hiring me? Um, and that should then start to uncover some of the information that, that, that you need. Um, you know, I guess my advice would always be don't accept a role if something's not clear because you're probably setting yourself up for failure, if I'm being brutally honest. That's yeah, really great, Kyle. And, and, you know, thanks for your response. Really appreciate the uh, kind of the personalized response to that question. TJ, thank, uh, TG, rather, um, thank you very much for the question. And, and again, LinkedIn Live, please keep the questions coming. Uh, you know, hiring managers, uh, you know, you're looking to put together a strategy. You've got questions about, you know, the right roles, the right skills, uh, the right approach, pitfalls, things like that. Um, other folks out there that, that have questions to, you know, to, to, uh, to share with Kyle here today, please keep the questions coming. Um, th this will really keep it interesting and, and useful for everyone on the, uh, on the live stream today. Uh, Kyle, the, uh, the next question that I see here that, that, that we do have queued up, uh, what are the key skills companies look for in a data leader role? And do you think those skills are justified? Um, so I guess that ties into my response to the to the previous question a, a little bit. So I think what they, you know, generally speaking, uh, not in all instances, but I'd say, you know, probably 80, 90 percent of the time, the skills that they do look for versus the skills that they need are probably different. Right. So, again, most businesses still, for some reason, think that because this person is the most senior within the data analytics sphere, and you know they they struggle to to separate or segregate data from technology um they think that this person needs to be the technical whiz you know can code in all these languages can build um, models and dashboards and all of this stuff and i'm sure for many people once upon a time they could right but i guess what what in in most instances the role of that person should be about you know, trying to add value back to the business. Um, and I think there's a big, there's a big gray area in our, our industry where people don't like to talk about the fact that, you know, business leaders are investing in this because they expect something in return, right? So um, as with any investment they make when they're building a team, when they're buying technology, whatever the case may be, um, you know, they're expecting them to become a better business for it now obviously that's very difficult sometimes to be able to say you know the work of my team as a data leader has resulted in x amount millions of pounds because sometimes there are internal power struggles you know allocation you know if you do a big project for a sales team and the sales team then you know bring in another 10, 10 million pound dollars euros whatever the case may be well, of course, you know, it's not always as plain sailing to say, well, it's split 50-50 or it's weighted this way or that way. Of course, the sales team want the credit for the 10 million that they've brought in, right? So you get these power struggles that 
that happen and therefore it's not as easy as everyone says to go you know what i did resulted in an uplift of x or y but ultimately that's the job right that's what we need to get to to justify for, for data leaders to continue to justify their existence and all then continue to get budget to keep growing their teams and capability to do bigger better projects you know so it's like any investment as soon as the value and the return is there you know you get more investment to do bigger and better stuff right and i think it's the exact same thing here um but that they're the you know the important skills to do that aren't often around the technology like the the data leaders you know typically should go and be able to go and employ the people that can you know, do the architecture that can do the engineering that can do the data science like that's not or shouldn't be their job. Some instances, yes, but often no. So their job becomes, you know, being being the cheerleader almost, right? You know, so constructing the team, putting the best people possible in the best seats for the business, you know, um, making sure that they're kind of getting some commercial value from the projects that they're driving, you know, winning hearts and minds, taking the business on that journey, telling the story, raising the profile, influencing, persuading, all of that type of, of good stuff. So I think, you know, and, and that is ultimately, in my eyes, the bottom line where most businesses get it wrong. They still focus on, well, how, how long have you coded in Python? And my question often is, why does that matter? Because when push comes to shove and they're in the role, you know they'll 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 hire someone that can code in python and has done for 10 years right so i think it's those commercial and strategic skills and i think the biggest thing you know if you if you then look at the the people that go on and do really well in the industry from a data leadership perspective it comes down to execution and transformation like yeah, most people, most people at this you know at the data leadership level are all very capable of writing a very convincing data strategy it's the people that go and execute get it into the business get it working and get value out of the other side of it that helps that that business to transform in some way shape or form and it's them people that typically rise to the top pretty quickly cool i'm back in the room guys until the next power cut <laughs> uh, and TG, I saw the, your first question, which Ben kindly asked. Um, I think TG wants to drill down into that a little bit, Kyle. Um, he's saying you may have answered this. Apologies for the duplication if you have. But in your experience with data-driven companies, on paper at least, and, and I think that's a good differential as well, on paper, uh, what are some red flags to watch out for the companies that claim to value data teams but don't give the autonomy or align the team to deliver on company objectives for the quarter or for the year. So I think TG just wants to get a much better idea if you could drill down a little bit for him. Yeah, again, another great question and, and something that you, we come up with a, a lot. So I think not, you know, there's a big debate in the industry about where data teams should sit, right? And everyone's got a different opinion on it. And it, broadly speaking, it shouldn't really matter providing you have the right level of autonomy to deliver um, against hence the ends the question um, what you find is though unfortunately that can sometimes be a, a kind of leading indicator as to how much autonomy you will actually have and, and where that business sees your role you know so the amount of team data teams that I've seen being built um, you know all singing or dancing and really all they're after is you know a few dashboards to be to be made to take into a sales meeting at the end of the the month or quarter and it's kind of yeah. like it's, it's a waste right so i think um some of the red flags you know reporting lines can be an indicator of, of that in my opinion 
I think that the one of the most obvious things is can the business or the data leader, because they're typically the person that bridges the gap between data teams and, and the business leadership is, you know, do they have a clear defined strategy as to what they're trying to achieve as a business and how they see the role of data and analytics playing in that? Because I think what you typically find is if the answer is no, once you get into there and you know you go to you go to them with your handout saying, right, it's gonna it's gonna cost you two million pounds for this and blah blah blah, it's very quickly like, mm, yeah, no, it's yeah. not quite what we had in mind. And then you're in an instance where you know, again, business, yeah, spun up this data team, um, you know, and and they're they're kind of prohibited to add value because it's kind of a almost like a preconception of what this team has been brought in to deliver and that's not necessarily wrong but obviously there needs to be a certain level of uh, acknowledgement from the business that they also don't know what they don't know right the reason why you hire these people is because they add something to the business that you can't do right yeah um, so i think that that's probably a, a good starting point if you know <laughs> if you are a data leader and you're whoever you report into can't answer that question or if you are a, a practitioner within a data team and your data leader can't answer that question on behalf of of the business leader that he he or she reports into then that's a pretty you, red might be, you might be in trouble yeah atj i hope that answered i did see another question come through from you but i'm going to ask the question just before because I think it'll uh, flow into the next question he just got for you. He's he's taking the most out of it here, Carl. Um, and I'm not sure how to read this one, but hopefully it'll make sense to you. How to see the relationship with the leader via recruitment. So can this lead to a sustainable relationship with the business? So they've come, my understanding of this question is they've come through you, but how do they then get the relationship as to where they want to take the company? Uh, oh, that's a tricky question to answer. So, um, look, I, I think obviously there, there's all, if that is the way the question's phrased, then there's always, um, there's always benefits to, you know, and let's use a data leader as an example, because we've been barking on about that. But, you know, typically speaking, the businesses, for example, that we work with, we have much fewer partnerships, but those partnerships are typically, um, you know, the relationships are much deeper. We're doing things much more on a strategic level. Um, it's done at scale. So it's it's less, you know, recruitment probably has a persona of being transactional, right? And that's exactly what it shouldn't be. And it's one of the things I'm very passionate about trying to change within my industry. Um, but I think, you know, if, for example, we place a data leader into an organization, we've typically got um, a good relationship with the person that we've placed them with. So, for example, you know, we recently placed a, a director of data and analytics into a FTSE 100 listed business, right? I'm dealing every day with the, the chief operating officer who this role is going to report to. So if that person had challenges or whatever, you know, I'm sure there's there's strings that could be pulled for me to kind of, you know, become a, a bit of a, a facilitator between conversations on, on that front. But I think ultimately, look, you know, um, businesses use businesses like ours um, because look, we're we're a necessary evil, right? If it was if it was easy, they'd do it themselves. It's not easy, so they need a partner. Um, and you know, I don't think we're naive enough to to kind of think no, otherwise. Yeah. But I guess um, you know, yeah. I think that actually resonates back to uh, TJ's thanking you for answering his questions on the red flag. 
Um, and he's also asking, and I think this is exactly what you're kind of saying, how do you as a recruiter hiring manager position the value of enterprise data solution architects to an organization that's building their data team from ground up? Because it's very difficult for somebody to go direct to a company, whereas as a recruiter, you obviously want the right candidates coming to you. So how do you position their value? Is there a, it can't be a set way, but you know, is it difficult for you to do? Or are you finding that companies listen because you've got that relationship with them? Um, I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that companies listen, yeah, A, because we, um, you know, we have that relationship and B, because we kind of know what we're talking about to, to some extent. Um, I think, you know, often the exercises that we get involved with with an organization is to start again with the objective of the business what you're trying to achieve you work backwards and then that starts to to identify gaps within their current team or if they're building it from scratch what type of roles they're going to need to get to to you know to, to deliver on what they need to deliver to fuel to fuel the business strategy um i guess at that point um breaking it down from there is a case of you know as as we mentioned earlier, there's many businesses that have gone on the journey by, you know, jumping feet first into data science. And it's kind of like, well, you know, who's architected all of this for you, like your, your systems and where data flows and how it's going to move, what's the blueprint. Um, so I think, and we, we're seeing a massive resurgence around some of the more core principles like architecture, like govern, uh, governance and data management fueled in my opinion, uh, heavily because most business leaders went on this journey chasing artificial intelligence spent a lot of money didn't get much out of it and then you know kind of retrospectively with their tail between their legs followed their steps Hansel and Gretel style and ended up with <laughs> ah, hang on you know it's not being architected properly for us to to govern our data we don't know how how clean the data is we don't know how reliable or trustworthy it is etc etc so there's been this big resurgence so I think the market TG hopefully answers your question. The market is kind of auto-correcting itself that the value of these people have is huge because if you do it right at the front end, you know, it's unfortunate in some ways because I think I'd love businesses to, to kind of just stand up and say, you know, architecture and governance and data management, it's important to get right because it's important to get right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's become obvious to them it's important to get right, but because it's still an enabler to better analytics. You know, so many businesses now they're they're taking these back steps to fix what's you know maybe wasn't where it needed to be or what was broken or whatever the case may be, on the premise that that's going to allow their analytics or advanced analytics projects to be better to add more value. But I guess look, you know, take you know take the kind of peaks and troughs as as they come. Um, you know, the the architecture space is. Is probably one of the most busiest that, that we you know, we've had in the last two years. You know, engineering and architecture for sure, um, and then you know resurgence around data governance. So, I think yeah, you know, obviously we know what we're talking about. It's easy for us to to kind of articulate the value that these people can add to a team to make sure they get it right and what the consequences are if it's not done properly. Um, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're not involved in every recruitment process in the world, and um, why? Yeah, well, should I mean, we, we should. We should no, we should be exactly. Definitely, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and you know, I, I kind of say this quite a lot, but internal recruitment teams have the hardest job in the world, like the hardest job in the world, because you know, bear in mind, 
I only know what I know because I've been doing this for 12 years every single day, right? So there'd be something wrong if I didn't know that. Um, they, you know, one day are recruiting, um, I don't know, an accountant. The next day they're recruiting a cleaner. The next day they're recruiting a truck driver. The next day they're trying to recruit, you know, the COO. And then the next day they're trying to recruit a, a data architect. Like it's impossible for them to know everything. And when you have those instances play out, which happens day in, day out in every country in the world, um, you know, that they just don't know what to go looking for. They don't know how to position it. They get told what to go. They get find told we need this, but they don't have the background. Paper. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah. If they need it, yeah. No, it's, you're right there. And TG just saying he has to ask, which data practitioner helped you draft your data strategy? <laughs> I <Yeah>. get crickets. <laughs> uh, oh God, this. Uh... I need to be careful what I say here. Um, so <laughs> I think, look, there's been... You promised to behave. Yeah, I did. No, so there's been... I think, look, as per the infographic that I shared the other day, right, it's obvious yeah. that still, for whatever reason, most businesses in, over-invest in technology and under-invest in, in data. And I think that, that specific infographic was very much geared towards, you know, treating data as an asset. Like, you know, data should be, it should be looked after, it should be maintained, it should be upkept, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen for, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's um, probably a fair assumption to say that many in our industry probably do blame software vendors because obviously they are great salespeople and they go in and say, look what our tool can do and it can do this and it can do that. And often they can, right? Um, that's not, um, you know, th th that's not to say that these tools aren't important or that they don't add value because they do. But I guess in silo, they they don't add value, right? Yeah, so yeah. again, all of this comes back to, I mean, we, we talk about data strategy, but it, it, in my opinion, if, and I speak a lot about this when I speak to organizations, you know, things like, you know, identifying talent in this day and age, given all the tools we've got, isn't difficult. You know, I, I say with, with absolute confidence when I speak to um, any business leader, you know, right, you tell me what you're going looking for, Give me 30 minutes and I'll come back to you with a list of 300 names of people who are right for that job. The difficulty is not identifying who these people are anymore. It's cutting through the noise to get them to engage with you because the market is so buoyant that, um, you know, they're being, they're being reached out to by tons of different companies on a daily basis. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then that conversation then comes into, so the, you've got to create a narrative around why they should even think about, answering the phone to you and your organization like why are you different what is your compelling narrative you know what's the message that's going to cut through that noise and often some of the metrics that I put in there are around okay do you even have a data strategy because if you do you know you're already onto a winner in comparison you know what is it how is that fueling the objectives of the business all of this type of stuff so I completely empathize with with TG there that you know if they've gone out to look at you know, get people into what is your data strategy? How have you gone about doing it, et cetera, et cetera? It, it's, it's, it is difficult. And, um, you know, yeah, I think that the message probably is just, um, you know, be sure to get different advice from different people because obviously, um, you know, these these businesses want, want you to buy their, want you to buy your tool, right? That's the, that's yeah. the that's the top and top and tail of it. And it's not to again, it's not to say that this tool couldn't be the best tool in the world. But ultimately, if you're buying tools without having a data strategy, 
and then you get into it and you have to build a data strategy pro you know um off the back of that then you're kind of bound to a certain type of tool and is it the right tool and all this type of stuff so it's like it's like anything like and again back to the start of the conversation Catherine. it fascinates me why we do this with data and with people like you know if the business wanted to increase sales by 20 percent next year they'd look at metric they'd look at right that's the end goal how do we get there and work back yet with this stuff yeah. sometimes they don't you know they go, okay let's buy this software then we can evaluate where we are after that and then they're doing that without any strategy in place yeah well tg i think the advice is that you need to go and uh, employ kyle to help you find the best data practitioner for your business <laughs> is that about right kyle no yeah some might say that <laughs> No, the problem. We've got a question here from Ron. Uh, thank you very much for that, TG. Um, assuming a company wants to start working on building a data talent hiring strategy, what first action point would you recommend to get started? Uh, great question. Um, again, similar... at that beginning, isn't it? Where do you? Oh, absolutely, start? absolutely. So yeah, and, and you know. We, we kind of harp on about this all the time in the industry, right? But it's because it's it's so obvious. And I think what, you know, what I see in the market is that most businesses, when they go to recruit, they do they, they are doing it very reactively. And that puts them in a position of weakness immediately, you know? So um, it should start with what we're trying to do as a business. Okay, what role does data play in that? What is the data strategy for us to fulfill that data strategy? What types of people do we need over what time scales, what job, you know, what tech stack, what blah, 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 getting a balanced team. It's all important. And so, you know, just again, as you would with anything, work backwards to the point of, okay, you know, by these dates, we need to have these skills within our business. Okay. And for us to have the, those skills within our business by these dates, we need to go and start looking now, right? It might take us a month to identify someone. It might take us then a month to get them through the numerous stages of the interview process. Um, you might want to build a bit of fat into there for people taking offers elsewhere or counter offers or whatever the case may be. And then depending upon where you are in the world, there'll be some kind of notice period usually, right? So, and, and this and this is the problem that most businesses, you know, they they kind of as they edge towards let's build a data lake and then we'll assess. And then when they assess, it's like, okay, uh, right now I need three, three, whatever data analysts. Okay. Well, people at that level, they're probably going to have a three month notice period. It might find you six weeks to find and interview them. You know, yeah. if, if, you, if you're lucky, right. So therefore you're four and a half months out without the skills that you need. And then what happens? Okay. You have to go and plug that gap by, hiring consultancy hiring contractors and you know whatever the case may be so it again fascinates me why we don't do that but most businesses don't and i personally think it stems from the fact that many get into or onto this journey without a strategy to start with okay <laughs> um i'm conscious carl that we've only got seven minutes left because we started the broadcast two hours ago <laughs> and if I missed that, don't ask yeah. me why. Uh, it wasn't me, is all I can say. Um, I want to get these last couple of questions in, though. Yeah. Um, one word of advice for candidates and one word of advice for companies. Only one. God. I know you can't, but you can. <laughs> oh, one. Um, so... Um, advice uh, to be honest it's probably the same advice just flipping into the way it's kind of articulated so um i think 
advice for candidates is that I mean, look, first and foremost, in this market, they they are the people in demand, so they hold the cards in in most instances, most jobs. So you know, you're in a great place. That's that's the first thing to say. Um, the first piece of advice, though, is getting under the skin of some of the stuff we've discussed today like you know is the business truly bought into this does it have the appetite is it willing to invest and you find all that stuff by asking you know things around who's the data leader if they're a practitioner you know do they have any pedigree in the market what's the data strategy do they have one what is it how is that fueling the business strategy what are the long-term plans what's the progression all of that stuff so it's just about understanding their narrative as to are they an employer of choice or should they be, you know, should they be considered an option? Um, the flip side of that is the advice that I always give to companies is that if you, if you are going to market with, you know, putting adverts out there that don't speak to those points and it's just, uh, you know, we are X, we do Y, we're looking for Z and, you know, here's your list of A to G technology skills that you're looking for. People just apply. not interested, right? They're not the, the the days of that are long gone. So it's a it's about how do you articulate a compelling message that's going to stop people in their tracks and be in, in, interested and intrigued to to kind of um, you know dig a little bit deeper. I'd say. So I suppose that would be the same answer to companies. Then that's the yeah, rule. exactly, exactly. Yeah. strategy. Both both sides, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've all seen those interviews come up even on LinkedIn. We're here. We, we're there. This is what we want. Send us your CV. The, the problem is, Catherine, now, and again, conscious of time, but, um, you know, if you rewind 20 years, you, you talk about things like employer brand, right? And there are very few businesses, in my opinion, in this day and age that have an employer brand that is big enough, good enough to attract people solely by the name of the business. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you start to get into the realms of Google, Amazon, Netflix, right? The big tech players, for example, uh, Jim Shark here in the UK do a great job. Like it's a big success story, you know. So the success of their business, it, they find it easy to acquire talent because everyone wants to have their name on the CV, right? Yeah. The problem is, is you know they equate for you know one percent of the market, right? In the grand scheme of things, so the other ninety eight, ninety nine percent of businesses need to be better at selling themselves and they they don't like that term they don't like the term like we, we shouldn't have to sell ourselves or you should you do you yeah. do have to sell yourself that's just the reality of the situation now so mm. um yeah okay well as i said we're running out of time so i'm going to wrap up because i don't want to suddenly cut you off again you know i think i've done it today so Carl, i really enjoyed today um thank you so much for joining us um, you've got so much to say. I have a feeling we might be seeing you again soon. Uh, thank <laughs> yeah. you so much to Ben as well, my wonderful American colleague, stepping into the breach while the fires rage around me. Anyway, um, and thank you to everybody for watching this video. Please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can replay the, the wisdom of Kyle to your heart's content and also see the webinars we've done before. And we have some more coming up in the future, which are quite exciting too. One of which I know Carl's going to want to see, but I'm not going to tell him who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that one there. But no, we very much appreciate both your time. And uh, oh, thank you from TG. And thank, thank you. They're all saying thank you very much, Carl. Much yeah. appreciated. And yeah, we will talk again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks from Wimpure. Bye, Bye for now. <laughs>